Welcome to Dates with Death, the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking's podcast series dedicated to death and all that comes with it. For a long time, the topic of death has been considered as taboo in the West, even almost completely banished from our lives. This has come as a price. So we take it upon ourselves to re-inaugurate the quintessential philosophical task, at least according to Cicero, namely to meditate upon death. In today's date, it is my great pleasure to be accompanied by Rabbi Simcha Paul Raphael, who is a psychotherapist and the founding director of the Da'at Institute for Death Awareness Advocacy and Training. Hello, Simcha, and welcome. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here and look forward to our conversation. It's a great pleasure. Now, as has become the habit here at Dates with Death, I would like to start by asking you the basic question of why death? Why, when, and how did you become interested in the peculiar object of Jewish or Judaic death? People ask me this question, when did you get into death? And I say, well, it's not that I got into death, death got into me. <laughs> so there, there are a couple of ways in which I tell the story. One of them was when I was in my early 20s, my closest friend was killed in a car accident. <laughs> I had been with him one evening and he left, we said, we said our goodbyes, and I had a, a, a woman friend, a date that night, and we were out on the streets of Montreal at two o'clock in the morning, and we came out of a cafe, and I pointed to the moon, there was a full moon that night, and I said, there's something very auspicious about that moon. I don't know what it is, but there's something very auspicious about that moon. I took her home, I went home, I went to sleep, and about five o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. It was another friend of mine telling me that that friend that I had been with earlier that evening in the car accident. Mm -hmm. And around two o'clock in the morning, the friend who was on the phone had been IDing his body in the morgue. Mm -hmm. And if you would have said to me, simply, you're going to spend many years of your life having conversations with people about dying and death, I would have said, you know what, forget it. I, that's, not my, that's not my plan. But very early on, I felt a sense of his presence. Mm. Very early on, there were moments of meaningful coincidences of really felt presence. I mean, I remember the cemetery Mount Pleasant Memorial Park. There was nothing pleasant about Mount Pleasant Memorial Park burying a 22-year-old kid in the dead of winter. But I felt his presence there. Jews, as, as you may or other people may, may or may not be familiar with, do a ritual called sitting Shiva, which is seven days of collective mourning. Mm -hmm. We were sitting in what we call the Shiva house, and one of us turned to another. Didn't it feel like he was just in the room now? And yet, in my own tradition, as a, as, a, as a Jewish kid, I was a kid at that point, who already had a, 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 an undergraduate degree in history and philosophy of religion, and I was reasonably educated in Jewish belief and practice, there was very, very little available mm. for me about this question about survival of consciousness after death. There was, I could go to the spiritual liter 
spiritualist literature, I can go to Eastern traditions, but there was very little at that time, and this is over 40 years ago, about what Judaism had to say about life after death. So that really, really started me on a kind of individual search, both emotionally to deal with uh, such a loss. It was, it was traumatic at that point. And intellectually, because I was, I was sort of already spiritually curious. Mm. And again, it's also a longer story, but I ended up writing my PhD dissertation on death and afterlife in Jewish tradition with applications for working with the dying and bereaved. And then that became Jewish views of the afterlife. And then I, I worked for a while as a resident psychologist in a funeral home. And the rest is history, but I've been having conversations with people about dying and death. And I didn't even know that's what Cicero had to say, but <laughs> I guess I've been meditating on death my whole life in, in various ways. So that's, that's one weave on, on, on the story. Why death? Okay, uh, thanks. Now, if, if, if we get a, a little bit more... Uh, in, in, on, on the theoretical level. Now, up until not so long ago, also, as you just say, I said it, it was widely held uh, both outside and inside the Jewish communities that Judaism itself, at least ancient Jew Judaism, had hardly any interest in life after death. Uh, scholars kept on repeating that there was no ongoing relationship with the ancestors in Judaism, that there certainly weren't any ghosts there, and Judaic, Judaic funerary rituals and its afterlife were incredibly underdeveloped, at least that was claimed. Now, we know that this is not exactly the case. Can you please say something about ancient Jewish ideas about life after death, about ancestor relationships, maybe also about funerary rites, about ghosts, basically about this Judaic relationship to the afterlife? Well, I, I, I first need to say this whole notion that Judaism doesn't have a belief in afterlife, period, is really a modern notion. And often the the enlightened scholars or the, the post-enlightenment scholars, they may not be so enlightened, the post-enlightenment scholars read Jewish history and Jewish texts through a rationalist lens. So when you say there's no belief in afterlife in, in the Bible, it's true, but it may not be the whole truth, and I want, mm. to, I want to speak to that, because part of what we're dealing with is a modern take on the mm. historical past. Mm. But so if I go into the historical past in what I would call a phenomenological sense, in other words, what are the phenomena that we observe mm -hmm. in the historical past? Well, Judaism has a, a great edict against thou shalt not have other gods before me. Yeah. Judaism claims to be, or or at least biblical scholars claim of Judaism that it is sort of the initial monotheistic cry in the ancient world of polytheism. And those other traditions, they worship the ancestors. We only worship the one God who gave us the Torah at Sinai. At least, you know, at least that, that's the operating belief. So, so part of the, the reticence 
the discomfort around a, a, a kind of ancestral cult, if you will, that was common in the ancient Near Eastern world at the time, is a kind of anti-polytheistic bias within mm. Judaism. That being said, that's not the whole truth. That, in fact, the the Bamot, the high places that we read in, in, in the Book of Kings and elsewhere, that we read that Solomon built Bamot, high places to the strange gods, to the non- Yahwistic, to use a, a term that I don't really like anyways, but the, the, the non-monotheistic gods. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? They were, they were doing burial there. There, was, there mm. were different kinds of funerary practices that took place around that. So some, some of what we need to do to, to, go, to see what was going on in the ancient world is doing some kind of sacred archaeology and re- Revisioning or 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 looking again at some some of the texts, almost in an anthropological sense, to see, oh yeah, maybe there was some sense of a connection with afterlife and with ancestors. Mm. So that's one thing. The other thing is, in terms of the modern view, looking backwards, the the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob were buried, and, and Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah were buried, is still a hot spot in modern Israel, in Hebron. Mm. Rachel's Kever Rachel, Rachel's grave, Rachel's tomb in, in, in Bethlehem is still a hot spot. So while there's not, quote, ancestor worship, there certainly is. Even to the modern times, a kind of connection back to those sacred sites of of burial. You right. you'd appreciate this actually. I I have um, a study partner in Judaism. We have something called Chavruta, where, where two people study a text together. Mm -hmm. So I have a guy. We get we get together on 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 Zoom every couple of weeks. I'm reading a coffee table book in Hebrew that's called uh, Sacred Burial Sites of Modern Israel. So mm. there, in there are literally hundreds and hundreds of sacred sites of tombs of ancient rabbis and, and biblical personages. So while the Western world doesn't recognize quote, unquote, ancestor worship as part of the biblical tradition mm -hmm. in, in both touristy Israel and in orthodox Israel, there's a lot of ancestor worship still going on mm -hmm. to okay. this day. Mm -hmm. and, and it goes back to, to the ancient past. Well, you know, on, in, in, it, it's one thing if you're in a, a European or an American city it's another thing if you're in the Holy Land itself, and and there's there's a gravesite of the of, of of one of one of the kings of Israel, or 
in in Galilee, there are all these graves of, of the rabbis of the rabbinic period, and people go to those grave sites in search of blessing. Mm -hmm. Some 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 other things that I've 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 had conversations on on death with uh, scholars in 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 ancient in ancient Greece, ancient Rome, in in Egypt. Um, th there are these things that always come back, and when I was reading your book, I. I I seem to have found them there as well. There are forms of of necromancy. There are forms of of feeding the dead in their grave. So there's a whole um, a whole type of practice you you call that one should do the phenomen phenomenology of of of, of sacred um, sacred archaeology. And but these things always come back over and over again. And and in a certain sense, it would also make sense. I think that in Israel. These things would also be present because they were surrounded by uh, uh, peoples who had these practices, and also the ancient Israelian tribes. They spent lots of their times in these countries, like Egypt or in Persia. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the, one of the texts that I like to teach is the story of and the Witch of Endor as she mm -hmm. is called. Mm -hmm. King Saul was the first king of, of ancient Israel. We would date him roughly around 1000 BCE before the common era. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's a warrior. He's fighting the Philistines. He's on the battlefield. And uh, he's about to lose everything in battle. And he tries to contact his God, we were saying Hebrew, the Protestant scholars say Yahweh, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the German biblical scholars say Jehovah, the, mm. uh, that God, right? <laughs> As my teacher would say, our father, you know, what's God's yes. name? God's name is Harold. Our father, <laughs> born in heaven, Harold be thy name. So he's trying to communicate through what he referred to as the Urim and Tumim. The Urim and Tumim was, a, was an oracular breastplate that the high priests would use. There was a whole oracular tradition. That's another podcast for another time. And he says, I, I try to communicate with God through, through the Urim and Tumim. I didn't get an answer. I try to communicate through dreams or prophecy. Prophecy is a kind of altered state of re being receptive to divine communication. He says that, you know, and, and I didn't get any answer. You know, I mm. couldn't get online. So he gathers his a, a posse, he gathers a group of his, his, his men, his attendants, and they go in disguise to the town of Endor to see this woman who is a medium, a psychic. Now, the reason why he has to go in disguise is because there has been a ban against those kind of soothsayers mm. because of the anti-polytheistic, because of the, the monotheistic purification process that was going on at that time, weeding mm. out any non-monotheistic elements, the, the, the medium, the, the, the cult, the, the guild of, of women psychics were basically banned. So mm. he goes so he, he goes in disguise 
and he goes to this woman and says, bring up for me somebody from the underworld. Who do you want? Bring up my teacher and mentor, the prophet Samuel. Samuel was the one who, who chose and ordained Saul. Mm -hmm. and, and Samuel, the woman has a vision and says to, to, to Saul, says, what do you see? He says, I see this, this man coming up with a cloak. And Samuel says, you know, why the hell are you bothering me? Leave me alone. You know, I'm doing fine here. Thank you very much. You're going to die. You know, you didn't listen to what God had asked you, asked you to do. And so it, it's a longer story. But what's the point? The point is that there's a biblical text which has very specific reference to being able to access the soul or the spirit of someone who is deceased. And in it's he comes up so mm. a, there's an underworld of the dead that's mm. a very enigmatic text for modern judaism as well jews don't believe in life after death mm. and then you have something like that mm. so that's one kind of element I, I wouldn't call it ancestor worship but certainly there's a sense of an interconnection between the world of the living and the world of the dead. Mm. Yeah, and, and and turning back maybe to to um, um, the more technical issue here. You already said that so modern Judaism, uh, and in in a certain sense, doesn't like the fact that um, there are these aspects in in ancient Judaic tradition, but. These these modern interpretations they they can't just uh, go to the fact and say that that it was embedded, for example, by the re redaction by the editorial team, if I can if, if one can call it like that, of of the radical monotheists of the of the Pentateuch of of the first five books because it's still there. So how how can they um, hold on to these views, to these understanding that there was no interest in the afterlife? Because I, I was very surprised by that when 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 I, I started reading up on on ancient uh, Judaic traditions and in the afterlife that there is this this continuous understanding or this continuous stress on the fact that there was no belief in the afterlife uh, in 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 ancient uh, uh, Judaism, well, and and they yes. You're on. You finish your thought and then I'll interrupt you later. No, so so the, these one of the things that that was that I read most of was that it, it was because of redactorial interference that that of of or or by the radical monotheists that's a lot that a lot of these aspects disappeared, but they're still there. So if well, if if the redactorial interference was so harsh, then why are still these sources there? Wait, it, we have two screens open, if you will. Mm -hmm. One is what modern Jews believe, and the other is what's in the biblical text. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going back and forth. But I, 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 when I, so when my closest friend was killed in a car accident, as I said earlier, one of the things that I would often read is Jews do not believe in 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 the in um, the hereafter as other religions do. One of the reasons that other religions do, meaning Christians do and mm -hmm. Jews don't, we believe in the here and now. And as I like to say when I do my own teaching, that's true, but it's only half true. What's true is Judaism does have an emphasis on the here and now. It's in this world where we perform the mitzvot, the commandments. And even when we think about a, a future time of messianic transformation, 
unlike St. Paul, it's not going to happen in a heavenly realm. It's going to be, we become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and we transform the human realm. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that Jews don't believe in life after death. In mm. the pre-modern period, mm. in the world of Isaac Bashevis Singer and the Hasidic masters and the Kabbalistic masters, there was never any question mm. about survival of consciousness after death. Mm. So one of the, the lenses upon, that reads the text is through, as I said, sort of post-enlightenment thinking, rationalist in a rationalist way. And remember, Judaism is a religion in evolution. Mm -hmm. We're not living today a primarily, primarily biblical religion. We don't go out and sacrifice. We sit around a Passover table and tell the story of the rabbis of the rabbinic era, and we reference modern texts, and then we bring in contemporary practices as well. So Judaism is continuing to evolve. Mm -hmm. So the, the Judaism of the modern period did not have afterlife mm. as a primary issue. I mean, there were a lot of reasons for that. It was also, you know, post-Holocaust Judaism, they didn't want to think about life after mm. death. Yes. The mandate at mm. the time was to settle refugees and to guarantee security for Jews in di diaspora communities and, and guarantee the existence of the state of Israel. It wasn't to redeem six million souls. Mm. But I make a distinction between modern Judaism and contemporary Judaism. The Judaism that's evolving today is much more reclaiming the, the roots of Kabbalah, of Jewish mysticism, and, and, and less committed to the secular materialistic paradigm of the, of the 18th and 19th century. So, so what we're doing is we're, we're looking at both contemporary practices and, and historical texts and saying, oh, wait, this stuff was there all along. <clears throat> yeah, this, this, this stuff was there all along. So that's, you know, that's certainly what I did in writing Jewish views of the afterlife. <clears throat> I had to go in and, 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 you know, if I asked many of my Jewish contemporaries, do Jews believe in afterlife? They say no. And then I say, well, what do you do about the book of Samuel? Mm. Or, you know, some other inferences along the way. And they go, oh, well, that's interesting. I don't know if you <laughs> thought of that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Now, one other thing that was there uh, probably from the very beginning is, and it's one of the most known, maybe even the most known concept of Jewish afterlife. Uh, one that also would make quite the history in Christianity, namely that of Sheol. I hope I pronounced this well. Uh, this same concept is also often connected to the Greek Hades. And can you say something more about this place or this state, about its origins and its evolution, please? Okay. If I had a room full of 10 committed, practicing, educated Jews, and I said, what do you have to say about Sheol? They would say, <laughs> oh, yeah, I read, I read references to it in, um, in, in the book of Psalms. Mm -hmm. um, so what Sheol is, and I want to say something about what Sheol is, and whether or not people recognize that as one of the afterlife beliefs are, are very, very different. Mm -hmm. So Sheol, in its earliest... Um, textual description was 
simply an underworld of the dead. It, it did not have a moral or ethical dimension to it. When Saul goes to the witch of Endor and brings up from the underworld of Sheol, the prophet Samuel, Samuel, Samuel's in Sheol. It's mm. not at that point a realm of punishment. It's not at that point a realm of torment. Mm. But over the course of centuries, it it changes and it becomes darker. It becomes a realm of post-mortem retribution. It becomes um, hellish, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm. And what what happens to Sheol is you know there's another body of literature between the end of the biblical period and the dawning of both the New Testament and rabbinic writings known as the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. The mm-hmm. Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha for somebody who reads the Catholic Bible, they know what it is because it's part mm-hmm. of the Catholic Bible, but the mm-hmm. Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha are, are non-canonical, meaning they didn't make it into the main canon, mm-hmm. Hellenistic Jewish literature, that most of it got lost to history, and we reclaimed it from Greek mm-hmm. texts. So that that in the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha, in some places, Sheol is coexistent with another realm called Gehenna, mm-hmm. which is another underworld term. Yeah. Yeah. And when the new era dawns after the sort of the common era, after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 CE, of the common era, and the, the, the quote, the rabbis, the, the progenitors of the next generations of Judaism uh, come on the scene, they're not writing much about Sheol, they're writing about Gehenna. Okay. So most modern Jews would be, would be more familiar with the term Gehenna or Gehenna mm-hmm. than they would with, with Sheol. Okay. Um, so but they, Sheol, they, st- they stand for basically the same thing. Yes, and it gets more um, retri- re- retributive, mm-hmm. darker. There are actually there's a whole genre of texts called medieval midrash that are Jewish equivalents of the Dante material. Mm-hmm. There's a whole genre of literature called Masechet, meaning tractate, Gehenna, Masechet Gehenna. There's okay. a whole bunch of, of sacred hell texts from about mm-hmm. 10th, 11th century. So it becomes, afterlife teachings become increasingly complex and diversified throughout mm-hmm. time and history. And mm-hmm. the biblical layer is the earliest and the simplest. Okay. In, in, some, in, 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 in some sense, I mean, simple, I mean, um, not multidimensional and complex. Mm. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's also this is, is very common. Like also in, in the Greek world, the, the whole idea of Hades is very simple in the beginning, but then it becomes complex, it becomes Thanatos, the, the, the Tartarus become, it gets part of it, so it, it, it gets qualified and there's there's good parts there's lesser good parts there incredibly bad parts and you have the same thing in christianity as well we start with heaven and hell and then it becomes a quintuple 
part. So it's normal that these things happen. So so thank you for this. And and one more one one other thing. Um, although we already discussed about this, um, and 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 obviously this this is is, is something that that's important. Um, although there was interest in the afterlife in ancient Judaism and the confines were never so radical as uh, modern Judaic traditions want us to believe. Somewhere around the second century before the common era, the general attitude towards the afterlife in the Judaic tradition changes a lot. It, there's an, an enormous amount of interest in topics related to the afterlife. Can you tell us something more about why this change happened and, and what changed and, and what caused this change in the second century before the common era? So I, I read your question and I thought, I don't I don't agree with that. OK, in uh, I'll, 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 I, I do want to respond to what happened in the second century, but I, I, I don't agree with the notion that there was more of an interest. I think there was an interest all along. Okay. You know, yes, yes. Human beings have been living and dying since the beginning of time and history. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, people were seeing death happen before their eyes, and in the ancient world, they had to deal with, as we do today, deal with dead bodies. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that? So, there were burial chambers. There, there, there were ways of of of, of dealing with the dead, and and. As you said, the whole tradition of feeding the dead, they found they found Israelite burial chambers with little holes in it where they would give people little foodstuffs, you know, mm -hmm. a little, a little, you know, a little nosh, a little, a little, a little bite you know, for the afterlife journey. Mm -hmm. What happened? What happens in uh, are you talking about the second century before the common era or the second century? Before. After? No, yeah, before. Yeah. Well. Uh, well, the 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 textual tradition that changes things is the book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. Daniel is one of the latest Old Testament Hebrew Bible texts. And prior to Daniel, there's Sha'ol, there's an underworld, there's some punishment. Daniel makes reference to a future time when the, de the dead will be brought back, some to shame and some to everlasting life. Mm -hmm. Some to shame, some to everlasting life. That becomes the inaugural paradigm for a dualistic view of afterlife, of hell and heaven mm. and then it begins to develop much more after that mm. and uh, you know it brings in a whole question of resurrection which i know is on your question list we haven't got to yet actually <laughs> i guess we just did now but i i think i think that 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 changes the complexity of it but i don't think that there's I'd be interested in hearing for you. Why do you think there's more of a focus? Maybe there's more no, no, may, may, yeah, no. Maybe I, I phrased my question uh, badly or, or superficially, and I, I agree with what you say. It, it becomes more complex, and 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 I I wanted to know if uh, why it happened then. Is there a cause, or is it just coincidence? Is is it all kinds of different things that finally come together? 
and as, as, as history generally works off, or is this something that we can we can pinpoint and say, well, this happened and, and, and this could explain it. But it's probably well, just a lot of Persia, things that came it's together. Persia. Huh? It's Persia. The per it's at that point it uh, the whole tradition not uh, not apocryphal, but 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 the, the whole apocalyptic tradition. The apocalyptic tradition is at the end of days there will be some kind of heavy sh happening. There will be yeah. some kind of heavy stuff happening. That apocalyptic tradition it gets infused into biblical Judaism okay. after the the period of Persian dominance in the in the in the fourth and third century, and so the Book of Daniel reflects that, and there's more of a dualistic kind of thinking that that that's my best sense okay. of what happened to that period of history so it's it's something that comes in from abroad or from down down the street as it were okay yeah. <laughs> exactly because they were there in the beginning okay now well all, no but all, well also i mean uh, you know um, judea was under persian dominance in yeah, exactly in the fourth, yeah. third century mm. so you know the, the judaism has a wonderful um semi-permeable membrane mm. you, you know um when i was 13 years old and i started smoking cigarettes my father blamed it on my cousin <laughs> and yeah you, you know and, and it's often sort of blamed on the canaanites or the egyptians mm. or that but but no judaism has the ability to evolve and grow and assimilate and integrate in positive ways, mm. elements from the surrounding culture. Mm. So there are parallels between biblical Sheol and Canaanite traditions. Mm -hmm. There are parallels between the book of Daniel and, and Zoroastrian traditions mm -hmm. and, and the whole thing of, of resurrections. There mm. are parallels with Greco-Roman tradition and early biblical ideas of heaven and hell and, 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 and Gehenna and Gan Eden. Kabbalah gets in, infused with Sufi mysticism. Mm. Uh, today, we're you know we we've assimilated Western rationalism, and now actually, and you know you're doing this as a historical scholar, but in the modern reflection on life after death, it's really the Tibetan Book of the Dead and ideas from the East that are being infused into the new Jewish the new Jewish sentiment, the new Jewish ideas around life after death. I couldn't have written my book, Jewish Views of the Afterlife, if I had not read writings about the Tibetan Book of the Dead, because it gave me a lens to look for little known ideas and really map out or flesh out, which is a weird metaphor to use talking about afterlife, <laughs> flesh out a kind of post-mortem journey of the soul. So by the middle age period, it's not simply you go up or down, but there's a whole journey of the soul of different stages of consciousness that replicates what's in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Okay, that's very interesting. So when you're ready to do Jewish, when you're ready to do Jewish mysticism, I'll call you. Yes, we'll talk. Yeah, yeah, yes yeah. definitely, definitely. <laughs> I, I will do that.
now you already um, uh, went in, in into my last question. So in conclusion and, and closely related to the question I, I just asked you, although for most people the ideas of resurrection and a messianic return are connected with Christianity, both concepts obviously descend from Judaism and not just from Judaism, you just saw that it came from Persia. Now, can you say something about these concepts within the history of ancient Judaism, please? It's one of the most complex, confusing concepts. Mm. I, I, I want to use this for a non-paid, non-political you know, non commercial. <laughs> read, read the book Jewish Views of the Afterlife. It's now in the third edition. In, uh, in, in Jewish Views of the Afterlife, my teacher and mentor, Rabbi Zalman Shakti Salomi, writes the foreword, and he writes about resurrection. And he says, do I really believe that these molecules will all really return back to life? Do I really believe that this post-mortem, eventually desiccated body will, will gather back? And if I believe in reincarnation, how many different lifetimes? Which which body is is it going to be? So he does a kind of contemporary reflection on resurrection, which I refer you back to if you haven't read it closely. It's really quite brilliant. But to but to go into the historical thinking, for Judaism originally there wasn't that much of a separation. There wasn't a body and soul. That's that's later Greek. Mm -hmm. A living person in, in, in biblical times is called nefesh chaya, a living spirit. Mm -hmm. And a dead person is called nefesh met, a dead spirit. Mm -hmm. The living spirit, nefesh chaya, hangs out in the, 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 the tribal gathering, the family gathering, the family clan. And then when they die, they hang out with the family tomb. They hang mm. out with the ancestors in, 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 the, in the underworld. But you get, by the 5th, 6th century, you get this other idea that the dead will be brought back to life. You find it in um, Ezekiel, the mm -hmm. famous, the, 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 the valley of the dry bones, which may be totally, totally based upon Either the the exiled Israel coming back to life, or some of the, the, the you ever see the, see much about the, the Temple of Doom and Zoroastrian tradition, mm -hmm. where they they deck out the bodies and they just have dry bones. Mm -hmm. So that definitely picked up Persian Persian influence. Remember, they were Ezekiel and his vision down by the waters of Babylon. Mm. So you get you you get that you get Isaiah talking about resurrection with with like the dew in ancient Israel, but in modern Israel too, the land is so dry and the dew brings it back to life. Mm. So it's sort of this 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 metaphoric sense, and then you have as I re as I referenced Daniel. So you get this sense. Not of what's going to happen to the individual after death, mm. but what's going to happen to the collectivity of Israel. Mm. There's a word that scholars throw around like a basketball called eschatology. Mm. Eschaton <laughs> is about the end. Ology mm. is the study. So it's the study of the end. Mm. So there's individual eschatology. That what happens to the fate 
of the individual after death. That's different than collective eschatology, what will happen to the collectivity of Israel at the end of time. Mm. And so resurrection is more associated with that, at least in the Old Testament biblical tradition. Mm. St. Paul changes that. He says, when you die, you're automatically resurrected in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, so it, 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 it's, it's a very complex concept. And modern Jews, in, in traditional Jews, still have, we still have that in our liturgy. Three times a day, we, we talk about a God who brings the dead back to life. Mm. And most moderners think, say it, but what does it really mean? Mm. So... I think part of why we lost touch with the fate of the individual after death and modernity is because the fate of the of the collectivity of Israel, what will happen at the end of time, became even more important for a period of time. So I don't know if I fully explained resurrection, but I tried to give you no, a couple no. of pieces. Yes, no, thank you so much. And, and, and I think this is a, a very a good way to closing our, our talk as well with, with what you said. Okay, one more, one more. I want to say yes, uh, the daatinstitute.net, daatinstitute.net is where you can find me. I think for me, you know, you, you're a philosopher and a scholar and, and you're doing beautiful work and you should be able to keep doing this because we need to keep talking about death, we're really entering a new era where we want people to not be so freaked out about death. Yeah. But I also work as a, as, a, as a bereavement counselor and a psychotherapist, and I think my original attachment to dying and death and to, to afterlife came out of my own grief experience, and it helps mm. people to know that the be here's the bottom line in everything I teach. Between this world and the world beyond is a window and not a wall. Mm. Our yeah, rationalist yeah. scientific culture says dead is dead, it's a wall. But our mystical traditions and our intuitive knowing, the people, the people's synchronistic experiences like I had when I was a 21-year-old kid, as I mentioned, and my friend was killed in a car accident, mm. they, they convince us mm. that there's a window that opens in those moments. So if anybody needs to do some bereavement counseling, I'm available. They can track me down through my website. And I thank you for this opportunity. And wow. uh, call me back when we want to talk about afterlife and Jewish mysticism. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So thank you, Simcha, for this extremely pleasant and, and, and highly informative talk. And, and there's a lot more to say, obviously, uh, about the Judaic afterlife. So there will be more. Thanks also to our listeners for having joined me once again in this new episode of Dates with Death. And dear listeners, if you like our volunteer work here at PICT, you can now also consider supporting us, or you can still consider supporting us by becoming an active member of our institution. For more information about how to join PICT, please visit our website. My name is Christoph van Houten. Thank you and goodbye.